Welcome to Two SoCal Gals. I'm Alicia. Josie, did Toronto FC really have a chance to defeat Santos Laguna tonight and win their group? I'm Josie, and yeah, in the same way that I could be the Queen of Canada. Uh, Wait, that's a thing? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Two SoCal Gals, the show where we talk anything and everything soccer with a SoCal slant. We'll begin this morning with MLS Playoffs. The teams are locked in with one week still to play. While there still might be some seeding changes in the East, Alicia, who's your dark horse pick to win the MLS Cup? Uh, I'm going to go with the New York Red Bulls. Um, their crash and burn potential is huge, I realize. Um, and so this could end up being such a silly thing. And I know they've never won you know, a meaningful trophy in their history, all that sort of thing. But a lot of the results uh, this season have been really tight games. Uh, win and lose and you know I think with the talent on their uh, roster and the fact that they're able to hang in for games late and they're able to come back late and get um, you know come from behind at times uh, I could definitely see them you know sticking it with it in the in the playoff run and and actually making a run into the playoffs uh, provided that the team clicks and that you know there isn't any sort of you know firing the coach in the middle of a playoff game or what have you. I mean, again, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see. But if I were to pick a, a, a dark horse, I definitely think that um, New York is, is sort of a tailor-made dark horse for this this pick. What do you think? Yeah, I, I like New York. Um, you know, they've been kind of a team that seemed just on the verge, you know, the last two years. Um, I believe Thierry Henry is the best player in MLS, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, but for my dark horse pick, I'm going with DC United. Um, and they've made a bit of, you know, jump in the standings late in the season. That's always a good sign. Um, and I'm ruling out Sounders, RSL, and Galaxy right off the bat, and Houston Dynamo, just because of the attrition factor. Um, I was reading an article this afternoon just about how CCL and Open Cup, what the Sounders were in both, and Sporting Kansas City was obviously the winners of the U.S. Open Cup. Just those extra matches greatly reduce your chance of making an MLS Cup, and that's how you get teams like Colorado that sneak in there. Um, so DC United is my Colorado, but a more talented and actually deserving one with a pretty good coach in Ben Olsen. Yeah, I mean, I think it would make for a great story for DC, uh, especially with Olsen coming in because, you know, he was a, a one-club guy, you know, as a player, and then he stuck around with the team as a, as a coach. And um, also... It, it would be likely if DC made a run that um, Dwayne De Rosario could come back, and if he could come back and actually participate in some capacity in the playoffs, um, you know, and help win another MLS Cup. I mean, that would obviously help, you know further burnish his legend in the league. So uh, yeah, I mean that that obviously makes a lot of sense as a as a pick. But uh, yeah, let's let's uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about. Uh, UEFA Champions League because um, there's been some group stage games this week. We're halfway through the group stages and Bayern Munich is the only pot one team uh, below second place at the moment. Uh, is last year's runner-up in trouble? And also, what's up with the group of death, death this week? 
Well, the group of death uh, was pretty crazy. Um, it's actually, I, I feel like the Tuesday Wednesday slate of uh, matches was pretty exciting with a lot of drama and, uh, you know, there was some doubt uh, on a lot of the big clubs. Um, but th this group of death, uh, right now you've got Borussia Dortmund at the top with seven points, um, and you've got Ajax beating Manchester City, um, and Manchester City is at at a point where they could not qualify uh, for uh, Europa or Champions League uh, within the next match, and that no one could have seen that happening. Um, and Ajax has a real chance if they can get some results going of possibly even upseating. Uh, Real Madrid, and you can see Ajax and Borussia Dortmund going through, and that would be insane. Um, but as to Bayern Munich, um, yeah, I think they're going to be okay. They're in a group where, you know, right now everyone's at six points, and it's just a matter of goal differential that's keeping them down. They're too strong of a club uh, to be down for too long, and I think they'll eventually get the results that they need. Yeah, I'm with you on uh, on Bayern Munich. I mean. You know, it, it just seems like it's a little too early to, to count them out entirely. But um, as far as the group of death, I think the really key fixture t was the win uh, today by o of Dortmund over uh, Real Madrid because, you know, I think coming into uh, the group stages, it seemed like Real Madrid was going to roll through the group and it was going to be a matter of, you know, what was the other team that was gonna, going to advance between the other three. I still think that, obviously, Real Madrid is in good shape uh, probably to advance, but... I think with Dortmund beating them, uh, it, it puts enough doubt into you know the picture to really make it a pretty open uh, competition from here on out. And you know, obviously Manchester City has the most ground to cover at this point. It looks like it's pretty dire for them. But um, yeah, I mean, I think the best as far as entertainment goes, and as far as like being a neutral and watching what's happening in that group, I think that that win uh, by Dortmund was, was the best thing that could have happened to the group because it's it's, it's totally blown it open. Oh, absolutely. Um, but it is worth pointing out that Dortmund had uh, two home matches and one away in the first half of this group, and in the next half they're going to be away at uh, Ajax and away at Real Madrid, and that's not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. So still pretty open, um, and as all the groups should be. Uh, midway through, but we have to move on to our local clubs, um, and Chivas USA had some big news on Tuesday night, uh, this front office change is happening, there's rumors of uh, coaching change, uh, aside from the timing, which we can discuss at a later point, uh, what impact do you expect these moves to have down the line? Yeah, I think this is, uh, we're starting to see the moves of the Vergara era, you know, come into full swing. Um, you know, they've appointed a new president. I think his name is Jose David. Uh, he has no football experience, but I, I don't necessarily think you need to have that, you know, as a president. You're mostly working in business operations uh, in most clubs. Uh, they've hired um, Jose Luis Real as a technical director, but he's still going to be doing the same position with Chivas de Guadalajara. So he's going to be sort of overseeing it remotely uh, at Chivas USA. Um and then, like you said, the reports of hiring a new coach, um, which has been rumored to be Efrain Flores, who used to coach Chivas de Guadalajara. 
Um, it's clear that Vergara is going with his guys, which is, of course, not a surprise. Um, most of these guys have extensive experience in the Mexican game. Um, but does that mean there's going to be success in MLS? Um, that is uh, unclear. And, you know, there haven't been a lot of uh, coaches in MLS who've come from abroad with no MLS experience at all previously, you know, have really been successful. It's not to say that it couldn't happen, but, um, you know, it's, I think it's a little bit of a risky move going all in on, uh, you know, people from, from, from Mexico and not sort of integrating, um, you know, some guys with, with MLS experience, but we'll have to see what, you know, how it shakes out and, and if it even fully, uh, shakes out this way. So now what do you make of the, I believe I read that they're talking of more player exchanges between the two clubs. Is this the, we should have all SoCal players quote again, or is there some truth to what they're saying? I think it's more, and I mean, logistically it's, it's going to, it would be impossible, but I think it's more along the lines of we need more Mexican and Mexican American players at this club. Um, Obviously, with the international slot rule, you know, you can only have so many players in the international spots on a roster. You know, they can't obviously import 30 players from Mexico wholesale onto, you know, into Chivas USA. But there's going to be a chance of, um, you know, having some of the reserves, having maybe a couple of first team players who are on the outs or just want to change of scenery or whatever uh, coming up. Probably some youth team players, you know, coming into the mix. And I think there's a decent chance that some of the youth team players here at Chivas USA are going to be sent down to Guadalajara potentially. So, you know, that could be interesting, but it also could be 2005 all over again. And that's not something that I'm really eager to see at this point. Sure. But uh, let's, let's talk about your team. Uh, the Galaxy played two matches this week with nothing on the line in either of them, but that's because you've wrapped things up. Uh, what should Galaxy fans expect from uh, these two tests? Well, I'll I'll, I'll talk about the uh, MLS match on Sunday first. Uh, you've got the season ender against the Seattle Sounders, and there was a brief window where it looked like it might mean something, but the Sounders got a better result over the weekend. So at this point, it's just going to be about fitness, which is a concern when you have London Donovan and David Beckham coming back from injuries. You know, they have to get back into match fitness. They can't just say, oh, we're back. Um, this is not how it works in soccer. So I believe we'll see uh, some uh, uh, the regular side on Sunday. Um, and the other reason for that is because the reserves right now are in El Salvador, um, and that match is actually important as well. Uh, we'll, we'll get to why it's important, but, um, they're only going to have, like, one practice after getting back from El Salvador, and with jet lag and one practice, it's unlikely that we can get that reserve group to do both matches, even though they're both, uh, ostensibly meaningless. Yeah, one of the things that, uh, I mean, it's not necessarily talking about sort of the logistics of the players in these coming games, but, you know, I read again, there was another interview this week that Landon Donovan's mulling retirement. I mean, is this becoming a big distraction, you know, do you think for the team or for fans as far as, you know, thinking about how long he may be sticking with the team or whether his heart's really in it at this point, anything like that? 
I really do not understand why Donovan keeps granting these long-form interviews. They don't do him any good. Um, but clearly, he's got something on his chest that he wants to get off. Um, he said that he will stick through his Galaxy contract. Uh, whether that means he's open to being sold or not, it's really kind of unclear. He does keep mentioning Everton. Uh, I know he had a good time over there, and it would be a new challenge. And... You know, as much as he's been kind of a one-club guy, I think just you know, all soccer players reach a point in their career where they need a new challenge. They just need to shake it up a little bit, and not shaking it up can result in a little bit of ennui, and I think we're just seeing some of that ennui from, from, from Donovan. Not You know, he achieves all he wanted in MLS, and he's kind of wondering, well, what is my motivation? What keeps me wanting to keep going? Um, so we'll see how that shakes up, but we've got to get to the CONCACAF Champions League action. Um, the Galaxy have their slot locked up, as do Seattle and Houston, uh, but there's still some seeding uh, changes that can happen. So, as w looking at it right now, um, what happened to RSL, and what MLS team do we think has the best shot in the knockout round? Well, RSL, I think it just they showed how small the margin of error is in the three-team groups in, in the CCL. Um, I mean, you only have four games, so if you screw up in one of them, you know, that, that could be it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know that the RSL fans are complaining about sort of the conduct of their opponents in a couple games and of the referees. I mean, I know that referees are a problem, and I, I've had discussions with the RSL fans I just think that RSL fans are a little over the top about the referees having it out for them, but that's a topic for another day. Um, I think part of the thing for the draw, we'll have to see what the draw is really to see which team is sort of in the best position. Um, but on paper, I would say that the Galaxy and, and the Sounders look better than, than Houston on paper, but uh, there's going to be an off season that we'll have to consider you know, what moves are made and and that sort of thing. But what do you think? Well, to get into some of the, the nuts and bolts of it right now, um, I believe Seattle, yeah, Seattle won 3 1 um, in their match, which puts them at 12 points and locked into third place, uh, which means they'll host the 16th place team, which currently is the Galaxy. Um, but should the Galaxy get a positive result uh, in El Salvador, then the Galaxy would move uh, up to fourth, and at that point they would end up hosting the fifth place team, which looks like it would be uh, Herediano, uh, and the Sounders at, at third place could end up hosting uh, Tigres uh, or Alajones, and I mean, neither of those sounds all that pleasant. Um, so, I think I think if the Galaxy do get their results um, in El Salvador, they are definitely a favorite. Um, and even not, uh, Sounders Galaxy next year from the quarterfinals, you know, that's sort of a toss-up, especially at the beginning of the year. So uh, we'll see what happens. Um, there's still more to the story to come. 
but we have to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will have Robert Jonas to answer all of our burning San Jose earthquake questions, because we have no idea what fairy dust has gotten to that team, so we'll take a break, and we'll be back. Okay, and we're back, and we are here with Robert Jonas of CenterlineSoccer.com, managing editor, and contributes for SB Nation's Quake, Rattle, and Goal, a San Jose Earthquake blog. Uh, thanks for being with us, Robert. Thanks for having me on the show. So, uh, Quakes clinched the Supporters' Shield over the weekend and also managed to break around on their new stadium, which was a long time coming. I'm going to focus first on what's going to happen this year, the possibility of hosting MLS Cup. Uh, what are the discussions happening behind the scenes on where that might happen? Yeah, and that's a great question, because I think right now it comes down to three stadiums and uh you know we were lucky enough to have the commissioner don garber in town over the weekend as well so we were able to grill him a little bit on that but uh buckshaw stadium of course is in play uh spartan stadium the the original home of the earthquakes nasl and the old mls earthquakes as well and uh stanford stadium where uh, you might remember that uh, the galaxy played the earthquakes earlier this season in front of 50,000 people well, with those three stadiums in consideration, Buckshaw having the smallest attendance, Spartan in the middle, and Stanford at the at the top end, you know, it's pretty clear that Major League Soccer, you know, they're the ones who put on the event. The Quakes just have the honor of hosting it. You know, they want to get it in as big a stadium as possible. They want to be able to maximize the exposure, the revenue, et cetera. You know, they're leaning heavily towards Stanford, which will happen only if Stanford football collapses and doesn't uh, end up with the best uh, record in, in, in Pac-10 or Pac-12 football, which, you know, uh, you and I are Cal Bears fans. We're hoping that'll happen. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, if that doesn't come to be and Stanford gets to host the championship game, it looks like Spartan Stadium's going to be the number one choice for MLS Cup. Okay. And uh, for our history buffs out there, not only is Spartan Stadium the original home of the Quakes, but it hosted a couple of soccer bowls back in the uh, NASL days. So it's got a bit of a history. It does. It, it hosted the first MLS game in 1996. You know, Eric Winalda scoring the first goal in league history. It, it's it's held a, an MLS All-Star game as well. So, you know, there, there's plenty of history there. Uh, if for anyone familiar with Spartan Stadium, it's a it's a it's a very narrow field, and I think a lot of players today like having the the wider expanses of the of the more modern soccer field. So, you know, that would be one negative. Number two, it's actually a turf field. It's it's been uh, converted to turf for the San Jose State football program and uh, david cavill the president of the earthquake said they will only play on grass which would require them to have to lay down a grass field over that artificial turf and i think most soccer people realize uh, not exactly a first choice scenario but you know, they may not have a choice robert i wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, alan gordon um you know his emergence this season has been a pretty big story and you know coming from uh among other places the la team's you know, he hasn't been really that effective in his career. So I was wondering what you think accounts for his success this season uh, with San Jose. 
You know, so much of that comes down to just being healthy. You know, he's a he's a player that Frank Gallup has always admired, a, a player that when he was the coach of the Galaxy, he had that short stint there prior to 2008, you know, a player he wanted on his team, and he could never keep him healthy enough to get him the minutes that he wanted. He intended to bring Alan Gordon to San Jose back in 2008 in the expansion year, and it was just something that, for personal reasons, you know, Alan wasn't really willing to make the move. But they finally were able to reunite last season after a trade with the Toronto FC brought him to San Jose and I know he was uh, you know with Chivas before that and of course the Galaxy you know he had chances to get minutes but I think his health never really let him get on a roll and with the earthquakes you know he fits the model of the target forward that Frank Yallop wants you know a big guy that can be is good in the air but also good with the feet at, at, at or good with the ball at his feet well he's uh, you know fit so nicely into the system that, you know, just crazy statistics out of Allen this season and, and not in very many minutes at all. He's been able to score 13 goals and, and double his career numbers and assists. Not so much because Alan Gordon is, is a fantastic player, but, and by all means, he is a very good player, but the system suits him so well. All right. Well, going back to the groundbreaking ceremony on Sunday, um, when do we think that there will be actual girders placed in the ground and foundations dug? And when is actual construction going to start? Um, and are there any more city council hurdles to overcome? Well, the next steps in the process are to finalize the construction drawings. And, and uh, they've announced that, that should probably take another couple of months. Uh, and then get those into the city. Not so much hurdles at this point, but just you know steps in the process. And if you kind of look at the calendar, it's unlikely that they're going to start you know banging steel into the ground in the middle of winter time. So I would expect that we'll start to see some infrastructure start to sort of spring up with well with the start of spring. And and the way the earthquakes have set their construction table, they've taken that into account. They plan to be open for their first game of the 2014 regular season. So that puts them on about a 12-month construction schedule if they do start at the start of spring 2013. And you know given the given the scope of the state stadium, the, the, the rather, I'll say, uh, s simple design, I think that's very well something that should be done, you know, very doable process, or very doable schedule, if you will. And, and uh, we'll see the earthquakes uh, in their new home, uh, like I say, about 16 months from now. All right, we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, look into the crystal ball. Will Wondolowski break the scoring record? I'm going to say yes. And, and the reason for that, you know, two goals is not easy, but what he's got going right now is a team that's firing on all cylinders when it comes to offense. I mean, they've scored a ridiculous number of goals this season as a team, you know, blasting past their, their franchise record and, and putting them firmly in a, in a top 10 position, I think, overall in league history. Um, the guys on the team, and I've had a chance to talk to them, you know, every single one of them says, yes, if there's a way I can get the ball to Wando, I'm going to get the ball to Wando. And, and fortunately for the Earthquakes, they play in Portland this weekend, which is the team, obviously, that's out of the playoffs. You know, they won the Cascadia Cup last week, so the last major carrot in, you know, in their path has been uh, already captured. You know, I, you know there's, there's hope that Portland will, will treat it as it is, sort of a celebration to the end of their season, and maybe if their foot is a little bit off the gas, Wando will get the opportunities and you know part of me hopes that the Timbers Army embraces that chase for the record and if they get behind it as well that full stadium behind Wondolowski I have no doubt that he can get a pair of goals all right well thank you so much for your time um, we're trying to understand what's been going right up there this season and it seems like a whole heck of a lot 
it's like all the stars aligned and, and the earthquakes are really reaping those benefits. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. All right, we're back, and this week we're going to run down through the MLS End of the Year Awards with a new game called Who's on Your Radar? Um, we're going to start with MLS Comeback Player of the Year. Alicia, who's on your radar? For the Comeback Player of the Year, I'm going to say that, to me, it seems like Eddie Johnson's a no-brainer. I mean, he has a story that it's almost like a movie you know, situation where you know it's a young kid who's really flying high, playing well in his home league, you know, scoring goals like crazy, getting on the national team. He gets the move to Europe. Things look like they're going to go great for him, and, and he flames out over a period of several years, bounces around Europe. Then he's out of the game for a while. He failed a tryout in Mexico. Um, sort of his last-ditch attempt to, to revive his career is getting thrown into the uh, allocation draft, and, and Seattle ends up with him. And, you know, it's, it's all turned around. So it, it, to me, it seems like, you know, I think there can be cases made for other players, but it seems like Eddie Johnson has to be the lock for this. What, what do you think? I, I think you're, you're right, Eddie Johnson, especially with the way that he played uh, for the U.S. national team, is going to get the vote for comeback player of the year. Um, but I'm going to allow myself a little bit of homerism on this one just because you have Omar Gonzalez. He goes down with this serious injury at the beginning of the year. Um, no one knows exactly when he'll be back, but it's projected sometime like in like September. He works his butt off and he gets himself ready about a month early. Um, and that was even after we had started hearing rumors that he might be coming a little bit early, and then he came back even earlier than that, um, and really just jumped right in, uh, had some limited minutes because there were no reserve matches, so he had to, you know, get his minutes um, in MLS matches, and managed to return the Galaxy back line into somewhat of the form that they had last year. Um, I know that with Comeback Player of the Year, there are some people that do not like the uh, good player got hurt and then was good again stories, because it's like, well, then what did he come back from? He was just hurt for a while. Uh, but uh, I've seen a lot of players succumb to their injuries and just not come back at the same level they were, and so he's a story that I really like. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a little homerish, but yeah, I see where you're coming from. No, I'm kidding. It's, that, that makes um, On to the next award. Who's on your radar, radar for MLS goal, Goalkeeper of the Year? Uh, so S Sounders fans tipped me on to this one, and uh, I have to agree with them. Their goalkeeper, Michael Gisburning, uh, probably butchered that, but what are you going to do? Uh, he's got the best goals against average uh, amongst goalkeepers with enough appearances. Uh, he's, you know, only letting in like 0 0.72 is his goals against average. It's really impressive. Uh, he's got a save percentage of 77%. And when you look at just, you know, how many m matches the Sounders had to play this year, you know, he only appeared in 20 of them. But, you know, had a really great winning percentage through those 20 and probably um, 
and deserves a lot of the credit for uh, the Sounders keeping it together uh, to this point in the year. Uh, but what about you? Yeah, so it's my turn to be a homer. Um, I think that Dan Kennedy can still have a case made for him. I realize it's not statistically possible. Um, I think Sperning and uh, Jimmy Nielsen is in Kansas City obviously are seem like the front runners for the for the award, but um, you know Dan Kennedy put in a good performance for the, through the first two thirds of the season. He was an MLS All Star. Um, you know, I, I, he had great numbers. And, you know, because his defense and the rest of his team fell apart around him, you know, obviously that sunk all of his chances. And, um, you know, I, I honestly believe that if if he was not on their team and if, say, they had a replacement-level goalkeeper, um, you know, in his place, I, I think there's a decent chance they might not make it to 20 points this season. Um, I know they did really badly on the, on the whole for the year, but I think that he – he was a major contributor to the good um, aspects of the team, and I think that uh, without him, Chivas would be in a far worse position than, than they already are. Yeah, and and really just going on talent, like everyone who's seen him play is just like, yeah, Kennedy, why isn't he giving more love? He's amazing. Yeah, uh-huh. and if, if the award had been awarded in the first two-thirds of the season, I think it would have been a slam dunk. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, he, he got dragged down with the rest of the team. Yeah, it's true. It was just that really awful month. But moving moving right along, uh, who's on your radar for MLS Defender of the Year? Um, well, you may be surprised for, for my answer. I'm, I'm going to go with Omar Gonzalez. Um, oh. I think that when he returned, the Galaxy season completely turned around. Um you know, and then thinking about who the top defenders are, um, I, I think to some extent there's a lot of reputation that goes into it. You know, like, well, this guy's good, so he continues to be sort of touted for years to come. And, you know, typically, obviously, guys don't, you know, if, if they're sort of recognized as good defenders, they, you know, tend to stay pretty decent. But a lot of times a guy has a great year and then he kind of floats out, you know, sort of has a decline after that. Um, I mean, I, I think Gonzalez, not only his play, but his leadership and his ability to organize the defense has obviously made a huge difference for the Galaxy. And, um, you know, I think he he was removed from the lineup for a sustained period, and they struggled. And then when he came back, they did well. So, you know, to me it seems like uh, he has a good shout for it, even if he didn't play a ton of games this season. I'm just going to be honest on my pick. I really have a horrible time choosing Defenders of the Year just because, I mean, it's a unit, you know? They all kind of work together, and the goalkeeper plays such a role. So I never really know how to pick. Uh, I tend to just follow the crowd. I'm sure Jameson Olave will get his usual bucket full of votes because rsl has good defenders so you choose one of them and you just keep throwing votes at them um i've also seen good things out of uh jr benitez with dallas um but yeah just i don't know i never know how to vote for this stupid stuff um and you can also make a case i mean it's another homer pick but aj dale is a garza having to hold the Galaxy defense together uh, while Amor Gonzalez was out, uh, you know, wasn't easy and still managed to get through. So, I don't know. I hate that 
I hate that category, so we'll move that's, along. It's a toss-up for sure. And I mean, the other name I was thinking of was Victor Bernardes of San Jose, but um, I have a feeling San Jose is going to sweep a lot of the awards, so it's kind of like, I think he may <laughs> get a disservice from being part of a team that's getting recognized a lot, and people like myself may say, yeah, they're getting too much attention. Let's 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 go to somebody on a different team. So we'll that's see how true. that turns out. But uh, let's do the last one. Who is on your radar for MLS MVP? So speaking of San Jose, uh, <laughs> Thierry Henry is the best player in MLS. Didn't see that coming, did you? Um, it, I just, on my blog, LAG Confidential, we keep this thing called uh, Match Impact Rating, and it tries to judge... Uh, the offensive impact that a player has, and Thierry Henry, uh, you know, he's averaging 1.16 points per 90, which is the best in the league, ahead of Wondolowski, because Wondolowski doesn't have the assists to go with his giant pile of goals, and so a player who can bring goals and or assists uh, at the clip that Henry does uh, I just believe is more valuable to the team than the person finishing the work that everyone else is doing. Um, that's going to be an unpopular, unpopular pick, uh, but what do you think, Alicia? Yeah, I mean, I've talked about, you know, how, how much I like Terry Henry as well. So, I and uh, considering you have that metric behind it, um, I think is, is, is pretty good evidence, but... Uh, to me, it would come down basically to those two between Wondolowski and, and Henri. And the only thing that I think counts against Henri is that New York is not in as good of a position in the standings as San Jose is. And I think, considering the fact that San Jose came out of nowhere um, this season to you know to win the Supporters Shield, considering the fact that um, even now with players emerging on that team, um, there aren't really that many players that you would sort of have as household names, even within sort of the MLS household, if you will. Um, and so I think, you know, in addition to the fact that he's playing well and scoring a lot of goals, Wondolowski is the one who you sort of focus in on and say, well, okay, this guy is obviously so important to his team. Um, I don't have a problem with Wondolowski being MVP, um, but I also have props to you for, for making a case for Henri because I also think that he should get – at least some consideration in the matter. Yeah, I really do. I, I think Henri gets this weird bad rap, and um, he's statistically just the best player in MLS. Um, and the Castrol Index was making some case for Robbie Keane this afternoon. I don't know. There's just there are more options than just saying, "Oh, this guy scored all these goals." So there, there are other ways of of looking at who's the best player. Um, but we are out of time, and we can rant no longer. Um, I'll, one final question, just to to walk us out, Alicia. Do you have any movies that you're looking forward to in the next month? Oh, geez. Um. Um. No. Well. Not that I can think of off the top of my head, but I did see The Perks of Being a Wallflower uh, about a week ago, mm-hmm. based on the young adult no- novel that I never read. Uh, I just heard the movie was good. I loved it. I thought it was a great movie. I have no idea if it's really going to get any kind of audience, because it's kind of in, an in-between age zone, but uh, I thought it was great. I think it's a great movie, and I, I to- totally recommend it to uh, folks who want to check it out. How about you? 
Yeah, um, I read the book probably every other month when I was in high school, so, um, but I haven't seen the movie yet. Uh, but I am probably looking forward most to Wreck-It Ralph, a silly little Disney flick, but it's supposed to be the video game version of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is also one of my favorite movies of all time, so, I don't know. Some good stuff. Um, if you're looking for me, you can always find me at Rock and Josie on Twitter. And Alicia, where can we find you? At Soccer Musings on Twitter. Alright, thanks for tuning in once again, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye.